A word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, as we come to the Bible, we ask that your Holy Spirit will unstop our deaf ears and open our blind eyes so that we can see new treasures within your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a question. How do you pray? What posture do you take? Here's a poem, an amusing poem, to help us think about how we sit or stand during prayer. And the poem is called A Prayer of Cyrus Brown. This is the poem. The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lamuel Keys, is the only proper attitude. It's down upon your knees. Nay, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and wrapped in upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Snow. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. It seems to me his hand should be astutely clasped in front, with both thumbs pointing to the ground, said the Reverend Hunt. Last year I fell in Hodgkin's well head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up, and my head a-pointing down. And as I made a prayer right there and then, best prayer I ever made, the prayest prayer I ever prayed, a standing on my head. Isn't that a fun poem? It's it's as much fun to say (laughs) as it is to listen. (laughs) And the nice thing about this prayer of a man who fell down a well and got stuck and decided that was a very good position to pray It tells us a vital truth about prayer. Our physical posture is much less important than our attitude. For when it comes to physical posture, the Bible shows some on their knees, some people praying while standing, some people with arms outstretched, and some people even flat on the ground, face down. However, in the Bible, much greater emphasis is placed not on our posture, but on words poured forth and hearts laid bare. So this morning we're going to look at Psalm 130, which shows four movements in prayer, four attitudes in prayer that can refresh and renew our conversation with God. Four movements that can bump us out of a rut and into the arms of our Heavenly Father. So let's dive into Psalm 130, verse 1. And you'll see that the first movement in prayer is one of crying out. Verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. This is the first movement in prayer and it's one where the psalmist cries out out of desperation, helplessness, even being overwhelmed, even upside down in a well, we cry out. And alongside this cry is the realisation that we do not deserve God's favour. For when we pray, we are not calling in God's favour. We are not in credit with God. He owes us nothing. Indeed, we owe him everything. So in the face of our need, we never demand and we never take for granted, but instead we plead for mercy. However, as we do so, we know that our Heavenly Father loves to bless a humble heart. 
The Apostle Peter emphasizes this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So, the first movement in prayer is to cry out. We cast our cares on him who cares for us. Whether we pray sitting on a chair, whether we pray on our knees, or whether we pray upside down in a well, we cry out to the living God. That's the first movement in prayer. The second movement in prayer involves confession. Verse 3. If you, O Lord, would mark our sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Here the psalmist confesses his sin. He repents. He confesses he has fallen short. He has missed the mark. Indeed, who can stand before the holy God? None of us. No one, not any of us. In our lifetime, I suppose Billy Graham and Mother Teresa would be heroes of our faith, and rightly so, but even they could not stand before the Almighty God in their merit. But they were okay with this because they had learned God's forgiveness. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, knew how to confess and repent and how to receive forgiveness. So my question to you today is, do you know this forgiveness? Do you know the freedom? Have you personally experienced the complete and absolute release of being in God's presence, forgiven and made clean. Well, if you haven't, you can. You can trust in God's word that when you confess, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For many, many years I have clung to that verse when I have asked for forgiveness. Because sometimes I don't feel forgiven. I still feel guilty. But after I have confessed, then I regularly speak this word to myself, 1 John 1, nine, to remind me no matter how I feel, when we confess our sins to Christ, we are forgiven. Praise God that Christ died to set us free from sin and death. Praise God that Christ died that we might be forgiven. So next we come to the third movement in prayer. The first was to cry out. The second was to confess. Now we come to waiting. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning. Now, much of prayer is waiting. We come, we cry out, we confess, we bring our needs, hopes and fears and dreams, and then we we wait. Not passively, but actively. We wait as a tired watchman waits and watches and longs for his night shift to be over. We wait as a bride waits for a wedding day. Do you remember, ladies, the anticipation that you waited and the preparation that you did as you waited for that big day. Well, we wait in prayer in a similar way. We wait as a child waits for Christmas morning. <laughs> Hope you can sleep better. But we wait with excitement after we have cried out, 
and after we have confessed and after we've given God our cares, we wait. The Apostle Peter encourages us with these words. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. I had a lovely answer to prayer last night. My oldest son I has not been going to church or a Christian and I've been praying specifically for this for 12 to 13 years. And then last night we were talking on the phone and he started attending a church. I, I have to do the maths, but it's at least 12 years. <laughs> and uh, he's still got a wee way to go, but he's found a church where he's listened to, loved and accepted, even though he's got a few crazy ideas like his dad. Praise God. So we wait. We wait with expectation. God is faithful. And so we wait. And the final movement in prayer in Psalm 130 is hoping. This is the fourth movement. We cry out, we confess, we wait, and then we hope. Verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And it's important that we remind ourselves that when Christians talk about hope, they do so in a different way than other people. Other people, most other people in New Zealand, when they talk about hope, it's little more than wishful thinking or hoping that their hard work will pay off. However, for Christians, that's very different. Our hope is not based on luck or hard work. Our hope is based on our Heavenly Father his love for us, and the fact that our Father in heaven keeps his word to us. That's where our hope is. Other folk in New Zealand, most commonly, base their hope on circumstances and their ability, all of which at the end of the day are uncertain. However, we put our hope in Christ and the words he speaks, which are more unshakable than bedrock and more certain than the rising sun. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. And when we do, when we hold fast to hope, hope in God and his words, our hearts, instead of sinking low, soar on wings like eagles. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord renew their strength. They soar on wings like eagles. They run and do not grow weary. They walk and are not faint. Our hope is an active hope in the living God, his love and the promises that he gives us in the Bible. And so here we have it. We have four movements in prayer. We cry out, we confess, we wait and we hope. And These are the attitudes that we bring to prayer. So it does not matter how sprightly we are or not and what posture that we take when we pray. So many of us have difficulty kneeling in prayer. Actually, it's not the kneeling, is it? It's the the getting up. (laughs) Most of us can kneel in prayer. It's just that we just trying to get back up again. I mean, that's but the the posture is not important. I mean, you can even pray upside down in a well. (laughs) Not preferable, but you can pray lying in bed, sitting in a chair going for a walk, 
all of these activities allow us pray. Though we may not be kneeling on the outside, we can kneel on the inside. What a joy it is to bring our prayers to our Heavenly Father who loves us dearly, to Christ who died for us and to the Holy Spirit who sustains us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that because of Christ and what he did on the cross, we have open access to your throne. What a privilege, Heavenly Father, to be able to come to you in Jesus' name, no matter where we are, where we're sitting or lying or walking, but we have open access. We pray, Lord, that you will enrich our prayer life, enrich our conversations with you. May we see Jesus more clearly and may he captivate every affection of our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.